was wrong, Dad. Please tell me when Nan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. For LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. And this week, we're going to be talking about the film The Farewell. It's a heartfelt dramedy about family, identity, and cultural distinctions. It premiered to great acclaim earlier this year at the Sundance Film Festival, and it just opened in limited release, having the highest per-screen average of the year so far, even better than the opening of The Avengers Endgame. And so to join me in talking about the movie, I'm joined by my colleagues Justin Chang. Hello. And Jen Yamato. Hello, and congratulations to the farewell for beating Thanos. And now... Jen, maybe to get us started, you can just give kind of a description of the movie. What's it about? Sure. The setup is sort of a crazy, true story. It is filmmaker Lulu Wong's recounting of something that happened to her and her family, in which a young American woman goes to China with her family to see her grandmother under the pretense of a cousin's wedding. But it's really so that the family can say goodbye to their grandmother because unbeknownst to her grandmother, her grandmother has been diagnosed with cancer. It's a diagnosis that the family has decided it would be better to keep from the family matriarch. And it is a decision that she wrestles with. Now, Justin, this is a movie that we've all been following since... Sundance. And tell me about your kind of initial impressions of it and maybe why you think the film has made such a splash right from the first time it had screened for anybody. Yeah, it's funny because even though I saw the film at Sundance where it had its world premiere, by the time I got to the screening, it had already become this word of mouth sensation. And so already my expectations were pretty high. Sometimes that can be dangerous when your expectations are already built up. I was so impressed with the movie. But it's interesting to me because, you know, Jen, I think we were talking earlier, you know, you had, you and a lot of people have had this, you know, just incredibly emotionally overwhelmed reaction, oh, right, yes. to the movie. And I didn't, I didn't for me. And I think that is, and I don't say that as a knock. And I think sometimes we, our measure of a movie is like, oh my God, that made me ugly cry or whatever. And, and that's great. And I've had those movies. This one is really interesting, I think, because it is about the deceptive nature of emotion and emotional concealment. And that is what I think is profound about the movie. And your reaction to something is not necessarily given away by how you express it. And this is something that goes to the cultural richness and the distinctiveness of the movie, because I think, and Jen, correct me if I'm wrong, as Asian Americans who do not, do not speak for all Asian Americans, but we can say, I think, that how much we emote is something I think that a lot of people sometimes often misunderstand or project things onto. I was taught at an early age to kind of learn to mask my emotions. And, you know, sometimes you're just, whether it's through shyness or whatnot, it's just, and I think this is very, very germane to the movie because everyone actually has to button up their emotions even more than they usually do. To protect the lie. To protect mm-hmm. the lie. And the movie to me is like, the lie is a hook. The lie is an mm-hmm. interesting window into this family. It's not really about the lie. It's much more to me about this family gradually peeling away these layers that they've built up over the time through geographical distance, through generational gaps, and all of that. And that is what I think. And so all which is say, and you can have different reactions to this. And I think some people have this really, they're emotionally overwhelmed. I had this more kind of like really gently moved, I recognized 
so much that the movie was saying. And that was in some ways even more profound for me than if I'd, but I think for many people, it'll just make you lose it completely. (laughs) And that's totally fair. I mean, it's something I like so much in the movie is that from the very first scene in the movie, when we see the lead character played by Aquafina talking on the phone to her grandmother, and just in that early scene, they're telling these very little seemingly innocent lies to each other. The grandmother says, oh, are you wearing a hat? And she's, yes, I'm wearing a hat. But she's not wearing a hat. And I love how their whole relationship is based on this. There's a lot of care involved in it, but then they are protecting each other in this very odd and essentially deceptive way. Yeah, and that opening scene is so cute because I think a lot of people... Um, And I think this is also the reason why it has made people just cry and cry and cry. I think for me, I saw my own grandmother in the character Billy's grandmother. And even though my family is very different from Billy's family, my cultural and generational experience as an Asian American is very different from hers. There's something in even just the basic relationship between Billy and her grandmother, whom she calls Nai Nai. And I think that is something that it's one of the many, many things in this movie that feels very recognizable and makes your heart just ache because you you feel it. You just feel this movie in so many ways. I think probably more so if your family experience is closer to Billy's. But even if not, there are so many very familiar emotions within this movie, not just between the main character and her grandmother, but across the family, you have a great ensemble, which includes Diana Lin and Tai Ma as Billy's parents, who were the ones who emigrated with her to America from China, taking her away from this extended network of a family and her grandmother, whom she loves. And they themselves carry the weight of that burden as well. And, and and they're just like touches like that across the entire movie that I that I think make it really powerful. Justin, sort of a guest critic on this movie, uh, your own mother, who uh, <laughs> herself is a Chinese immigrant. Uh, yeah, yeah, and she's yeah. Who had some thoughts that she shared with you that you're going to share with us? Yeah, I just. <laughs> <laughs> We joke. I wanted to get my mom on the podcast. Maybe next time. I know. wanted that to happen. I so would bad. have been so awesome. Um, because it's funny, and, and not just because of this movie, but my mom has become quite an avid moviegoer of late, and she even sees some stuff that I don't get to. It's weird, you know. She sees something at least one or two movies a week, and she's a tough critic. I think all my critical instincts come from my family, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. As maybe we all can relate to that a little bit. The thing that I wanted, you know, of course, want to know is just mom was this, you know. Does this happen? The whole deception thing, the line, the line she and she said like, "Oh yeah, like that is not." Um, and I'm trying to exactly remember what she said. I'm probably going to mis mischaracterize what she said, <laughs> and she's going to scold me for it. That this kind of dissembling happens a lot, and that and that sometimes when somebody dies, she said something that a wedding is actually a very common thing to have happen, whether it's a real wedding or a phony wedding. That that is not unheard of at all. Or if something has happened, like somebody has died. They just won't tell the person because they're afraid that it will be too much for them to bear. And I think the parents are in some ways my favorite characters in the movie. (laughs) And that's saying a lot because I like all the characters in the movie, especially the grandmother who reminds me so much, as you said, Jen, of my own grandmother. My grandmother also does Tai Chi outdoors (laughs) and is an amazing shape, even though she's she's been ill and she keeps bouncing back and she cooks like crazy. And it's just there's so much there that is universal 
even though my experience is very, very different from the Billy characters. But the parents are so well played by Taima and Diana Lynn. And in fact, we have a clip from the movie that I think is a, an early scene in the film between Diana Lynn as Billy's mother and then Aquafina as Billy talking where the mother is sort of explaining the kind of the plan a little bit and uh, what's going to be happening. So let's let's listen to that now. Lovely voice. That sleepy. Sleeping at 6 p.m. What's wrong with him? Nothing. He's just tired. Is he okay? He's fine. We're just busy. That's all. Busy with what? What's going on? Oh, it's getting married. So we have to go to China. What? Since when? Has he, like, just ordained that girl? You don't need to go. No one expecting you to go. I mean, he's my only cousin. Did you think I should be there? Okay. Okay. You think he knocked her up? How many wontons you want? Five. Five? That's not enough. Make a dozen then. Ten's good. I love that scene because, A, Diana Lin, who is a Chinese actress who is actually based in Australia, she's so good in this movie playing Billy's mother with this sort of hilarious straight-faced, tough love that is, I think, recognizable to a lot of people. But she's almost like the deadpan secret weapon of the farewell. But she does it with such tenderness that you see the love that's underneath even things like, no, you need more wonton. But maybe not so many. <laughs> but also, I, I, like, I think that scene also shows a lot of what's really distinctive and really surprising about Aquafina's performance. The, when she has that line where she says, well, he's my only cousin. And she does this kind of funny, you can't see it, this like, kind of like shimmy with her body when she gives it. And it's, it, you see her background as a comedian there in that like, it, she's got great control of her body, great control of her voice. There's something really distinctive and low-key funny about it. And I think it just shows why her performance is so strong. And, you know, this being her first leading role in a film, her first dramatic role in a film, and she just knocks it out of the park. I love that too. And you're right that she does not lose sight of her comic identity or what we know from her primarily as, as a comedian. You know, she was, you know, just such a hoot in Crazy Rich Asians last year. So and, good. you know, and one of the better things, I think, in, in Ocean's 8. And here, she doesn't completely lose that, as you say. It, it, she kind of has this ironic, eye-rolling kind of thing in every scene where she's almost just acknowledging the absurdity and signaling the absurdity of the situation to us. And there's a lot of scenes. That, I mean, many of her scenes are just really strong, having to hold emotion, having to express emotion through close-ups and all this. There are not a lot of close-ups in the movie in general. But it, what I love about the way Lulu Wong shoots this, too, is that she's often framing people from a distance in a group. A lot of group shots, a lot of scenes around tables, of course, and some of them are almost like symmetrically composed. The shot of the the whole family kind of not locking arms, I think, but walking in slow motion, like kind of the reservoir dog scene or something yeah. when they're about to go into the, it's kind of, and it's very funny. I spoke with both Lulu Wong and Aquafina, who's real name is Nora Lum, which I think people should also know. Aquafina, I think, is a persona that she certainly gained, you know, notoriety with and launched her career with, but it's probably only speaks to like a portion of what she is doing and is capable of. And I think it's interesting that the film is getting so much attention. I think it's so great that it is because it's such a brave personal thing to do to put one's 
ongoing experience, ongoing because, spoiler, I guess, her real-life grandmother, who was diagnosed with cancer, I think six years ago, inspiring this story, is still alive and still does not know what this movie is about. But now, Jen, in the story you recently published about the movie, there's a little bit more than that because the China scenes for the movie were, in fact, shot in Chengchun, China, where Lulu's grandmother lives. And so the production was essentially having to hide from the grandmother what the movie really was. Like, Can you talk a little That's bit right. about Lulu telling you about that part of the experience? That's what kind of makes this one of the wilder movies of the years, the behind-the-scenes story. Um, to make this, Lulu Wang went to China. It's a China, you know, shot in China. Um, and she ended up filming it in her grandmother's actual neighborhood. And her beloved grandmother would come visit set Aquafina met her and both Aquafina, Diana Lynn, and also Taima say that it was really important to them, very, very helpful and crucial to them in portraying these characters to meet members of Wong's actual family, including her Nai Nai. And so Nai Nai not only would come visit set not knowing what this film was about, which is wild, but also actually has a cameo in the movie in a scene in which the family's walking down the street. I believe they're walking from the right side of the frame across the street, and a little cute old lady is zooming across the street from the left-hand side in a motorized wheelchair, and that is her real Nai Nai. And so it is kind of, I mean... The tagline is very cheeky. The tagline is based on an actual lie. And it's just kind of a little bit insane balls that is still in play. But also the movie does have distribution in China. It's going to be coming out in China where the Chinese title translates as don't tell her. Which is, uh, you know, it's something that Lulu Wang has a very good sense of humor about. She knows that this situation that she is in with this film, which her family is very proud of her for, Mm -hmm. you know, she knows that it's uh, complicated more so than the actual story within the film can actually convey. But also one thing I find so interesting is that I'd seen another interview where there's a scene in the movie where the family goes to the grandfather's gravesite and they shot that at Lulu's actual grandfather's actual gravesite. The wedding banquet in the movie takes place in the same banquet hall where they actually, the actual wedding really took place. And in part, this is because these were these real places, but also Lulu, I'd seen her say where they scouted a lot of other places and those were just the best places. She liked them the most. They felt Justin, I think it'd be interesting to hear you talk about, like, there's something about this movie, that word authenticity is something that we throw around a lot. And I think this really shows what that means. That, like, in some ways, like, the fact that, like, the real banquet hall was the best banquet hall, to me, like, says a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And I'm curious to know, it makes me want to think about other films that have been drawn from very close to real life experience. And you wonder, like, is that just the filmmaker's their memory or their bias, as it were, you know, that is inclining them toward the real life locations. You know, I didn't know that about it. That's really interesting. And it's very fortuitous because not often are the actual locations the most cinematically well suited just in terms of whatever blocking or lighting or anything. It's funny, the just the interweaving of reality and fiction is really interesting to consider, especially at the end when you find out that the real Nainai is still alive. And it's interesting to me because first off that Obviously, it's this little comic punchline. It bears out maybe there's something to this superstition or this belief that not knowing is better. You know, that is sort of the punchline in a way. 
But it's funny because at one point you almost separate the movie from reality. It's not necessarily saying that that's what happened in the movie. I and mean, we don't see what happens. We don't see her die. But there almost is this, the movie enters this kind of zone of happenstance and, and just who knows. There's also just the fact that my reading of the movie, after having seen it twice, is that Nai Nai totally knows what's going on. It's interesting. And obviously that is, you know, presumably in real life, that is not the case. But I just feel it. She's very, I mean, it has nothing to do with smart or not. It's like, you know, because you can be smart and not know. But there's this just little clues that she gives at the end when she breaks down crying as they're driving away. It's one of the great little moments Uh, in this movie. Almost, And it's, again, what's great about this movie is the, the quality of restraint, the way it does not draw attention to these things. You could almost miss the sight of when Nai Nai, like, breaks down crying at the end because she's being she's like just this tiny little person in the frame in a rear view mirror but um are you I think choking up are you a little, little bit t- maybe a little bit you you this movie, grief you know works emotion works in, in mysterious ways that's right? the moment in the film uh, yeah. that i was straight up ugly crying yeah. in my seat at sundance i waited for literally <laughs> the leave. entire theater <laughs> to clear before i would get up to fix myself it was and you know what i've heard i've seen it like many times now mm-hmm. in many different places sundance in la and every time i see it i can hear audible sobbing yeah. in the audience i know when we were at sundance jen you did an interview there with lulu and nora and i think they addressed this very issue which is something they've been talking about all through the kind of the release of the movie so let's listen to that clip of Norlum aquafina from Sundance. Yesterday, there were a couple people um, that came up to me, like also with tears in their eyes, hours after the movie, saying like, "We just did this to my grandpa. You know, I just came back from from um, from China. I just buried my grandma." And, and these people, like, they they can't hold in their emotions, and it resonates with them in in such a strong, like, deep way. Um, it's just like, you know, movies like this need to exist. And it's like, no matter what, how broad the story goes, I mean, it, it, it resonates for sure. I know I know how much this says about me and sort of my own privilege, but the fact that this movie has a really 100% Asian or Asian American cast, that so much of it is in Chinese with subtitles. And yet I know when Lulu was putting the movie together, she was constantly being asked, is this movie Chinese or is this movie American? And like when I watched the movie, I did not have a single question about any of those things. I had to read the fact that there was a most, uh, you know, that it was an all Asian, Asian American cast, that there was no like Anglo boyfriend or something. And what do the two of you think that that means to have a movie like this coming out now and being sort of like accepted in such a big and strong way? Jen? Well, I think, first of all, it's worth mentioning that it was not an easy way for Lulu to make this movie. She talks about having pitched it around town to studios who would be like, but why will people care? This movie about an 80-year-old Chinese grandma? And they would give her notes like, she should add a love interest for Billy because the stakes weren't high enough. And to her credit, she really pushed through with the vision that was true to herself. And um, the way she she got it made, frankly, was by not getting it made as a movie first. She turned it into a really great episode of This American Life, which got the attention of the people who would come on later to back the film, including Chris Weitz, the filmmaker, and the production company Big Beach. And I think it's interesting because we talk so much about 
inclusion and the need to give platforms to underrepresented voices. And this is such a great example of the benefit of doing that, that I really hope that it continues to open the door after movies like Crazy Rich Asians certainly blew it open for Asians. Um, But even that, like, we only have a handful of examples. Most of them are East Asian and not even representative of the vast breadth and diversity within the Asian community. So there's like so much work left to do, but I feel like The Farewell being, I think, still 100% on the tomato meter and opening bigger per screen than the last Avengers movie. And hopefully, you know, knock on wood, bound for Oscars this year. I think it's all really heartwarming. It gives me optimism. Yeah, I think it's really heartening to see all this activity and it's the kind of movie that feels like even though there's still so much to be done a kind of maturation in a way because just the fact that you have a movie that is so restrained and so completely doing its own thing without much concern for some of the perhaps whatever those commercial realities that people like to bring up and it just bears out for me that the movie industry knows nothing and especially when it comes to giving notes to say people of color women of color trying to tell their stories the fact the whole why don't you give her a love interest and why don't you make this more like my big fat Chinese wedding the great thing about the movie is that it is not that movie at all I even see a little bit of maybe that bias creeping into some of the reviews I've read trying to keep out while writing oh, my really? own you know and it's, it's like I think that you know and the thing is too is like not to say that the movie's above criticism far from it I think um you know and the movie is you know very well has been very well reviewed but you know people I think that there is a certain distance that people have to surmount maybe who are not used to movies like this i think that people feel that the billy character is not very fully fleshed out i think you get to know her really well but you're not given the same kinds of signifiers that you're normally given for protagonist because she doesn't have a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever you know you get the sense she's a writer she's applying for these grants and fellowships that she got rejected from and that's really all you need to know sometimes it's funny and, and again this goes back to the whole concealment thing i think is interesting it's like people don't just offer themselves up a lot of screenplays just lay out characters boom 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 and they give you a lot of information and they think that this is depth or something and you don't get to know all the characters in the family all that well but you know them enough you're getting this emotional panorama that she's given you so i think that to me i feel (laughs) kind of instinctively protective of the way that Lulu Wong chose to tell this story because I think that she, some in some ways, when it comes to revealing her characters, is maybe being held to a certain standard that is a little more Western than Eastern, maybe. I don't know if I'm saying too much or if I'm mischaracterizing that, but it just kind of stuck in my craw a little bit. <laughs> no, I think that's I think yeah. that's spot on. Uh, one thing that Lulu and I talked about when we spoke for my LA Times article is how she also hopes that this movie blasts open the doors for sort of stale thinking about certain storytelling paradigms and what kind of storytelling sensibilities are correct and which are not. And you realize in the line, the headline on your article, Jen, the home, the movie making you, they want to make you call your grandma. And it's like, why is that? Who, why is that not 
You know, it's like, I mean, like <laughs> what am I trying to say here? It's like people ask, like, why will people care? How could people not care about that? I mean, you hear like whenever someone in their acceptance speech says when J.K. Simmons wins an Oscar and says, call your mom, that's like one of the dominant headlines of the night or something. And so people sometimes think that you need all this stuff. You need a boyfriend. You need and all these phony piled on stakes that don't matter. And it's like here, it's like the image of the Chinese grandmother is one that a lot of people of different races probably cannot relate to. But if somebody posts, I don't know, I'm just thinking about like YouTube videos I've seen. Like, here's my grandma. It's like people relate to that, even if it's not their experience that they know. It's it's weird to me how so much of the thinking around what people can care about is so moribund and so outdated, as you say. And it really just, I'm really glad that she stuck to her guns and made what appears to be the movie she absolutely wanted to make. So, And with that, we're going to wrap up our conversation about The Farewell. Justin, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Justin C. Chang. Jen? I am at at Jen Yamato. And I'm at Indie Focus. So for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our producer, Katie Cooper, and our engineer, Mike Heflin. Listen to The Real on Apple, Spotify, at latimes.com slash podcasts, or wherever you get your audio. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review.